From WDBM East Lansing, you're listening to the Green and White Report, a production from Impact Sports. This is your source for sports news, debates, and more for Michigan State, Detroit, and the rest of the sports world. Welcome into another virtual edition of the Green and White Report, everybody. It's your man, Nathan Stearns, joined this time along by Kyle Hattie and new Impact volunteer, Jared Ramsey. Obviously, not I, not what any of us had intended in terms of not being able to be at the station and doing what we love in person, but you kind of have to roll with the punches. We got a full slate today, and I think on Twitter we announced the new hosts for Green and White this year with Julian and Rabinowitz. Going to miss them dearly moving on. Trent Bailey, our sports editor. Ryan Collins, our podcast coordinator. And Hank Henry Menengos, our audio engineer, are going to be the three newbies who are going to be driving this ship. Me, Kyle, and Jared are just kind of holding it down, I guess, until it really begins. We're kind of doing this rotating thing but uh before we get into sports guys how are your summers going i know for me i work at home depot not a lot of fun ruined my shoes ruined my shirt because they moved me to lumber and i spilled quick read all over myself because they asked you to take back the busted bags of concrete to the compactor and of course the busted bags of concrete go everywhere and we're going on three days and it's still not gotten out of my skin like i feel like more concrete than man right now but you gotta do what you gotta do to pay tuition that might just be those muscles. That might just be those muscles, Stearns. Dude, dude, I can guarantee you it's not that. Like after work every day, I drink like three Dr. Peppers. Like I have an unhealthy addiction to Dr. Pepper. It, it's boring. Hey, anything to take the edge off. Anything to take the edge off after that. Uh, I've been working at a golf course in my local town this summer, and uh, it's just been a lot of people yelling at me for wearing a mask and uh, playing a lot of free golf. So can't complain. Just trying to pay tuition, you know, just like you. Well, I think MSU and I think MSU earlier today emailed us the bills for the fall semester, which is always such a punch in the gut. It's like you mm-hmm. work hard, you work hard, you work hard, you accumulate three, four thousand dollars, and then it all goes away. Like you know, it's worth it, but it still kind of sucks when you see that much money drain from your bank account. And I tell you, Jared, I'm in the same boat. Difference being, I'm a I'm a lumber slash lot associate. Basically, I push carts and I help people load stuff. It'll be ninety five out. I'll be pushing these train of carts and I will get yelled at by people because I have my mask pulled down because it's like anybody who's ever been to a Home Depot knows those parking lots are massive. Nobody within 50 yards of me, yet I'm still obligated to cater to people's delicate sensibilities. So, I mean, that, that's working retail, though. That's working retail. It's frustrating. Hey, do you care to chime in? Oh, yeah, I, I can attest to that. Uh, so we have to wear masks at my work because I have two jobs. Uh, one is Little Caesars, uh, and one is a job where I cut grass at the largest Jewish cemetery in America. Where's that? I didn't... Uh, Hebrew, Hebrew Memorial Park in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. Do they, is it like official? Is it one of those things where like they say it's like, is it actually the world's biggest Jewish cemetery? Or is it like one of those things where like, this is America's best pizza, but there's no quantifiable way of measuring that? I was told by the my friend who got me the job in the first place. So, if it's true, I take credit, and if it's not, I'm not I'm, I'm not uh, liable. <laughs> oh any interesting work stories? Like, have have you guys had any like horrific customers? And or is it just me? Oh yeah, uh, last week someone threw a pizza at my friend. Oh, that's we had a now. I, this is funny. Now I don't know how if you guys are car people or not, but they're 
was a lady brought in a Buick LeSabre, which is a small, small, smaller car than my Fusion, wanted 61 bags of 40-pound mulch. Wow. Wouldn't take no for an answer. That's like 2,500 pounds. <laughs> and I'm like, you realize it's like some people are too stupid to talk to. Like, oh, my God, what are you? Oh. It's going to be a yard. It's going to be a yard thick. Yeah, that's, Every, that's... All around your house. <laughs> it, it, it was a headache. It, it was not. It was not fun. Was not fun. But um, let's move on to more college stuff. I obviously with. I think we're gearing up for the fall semester. I mean, we're a month away, more, more or less about a month and a couple of days and change away from finally starting back on campus and online classes. Like, I mean, even though people say Michigan State's going to be in person this year, it's really not. Like, yeah, I got four online on. classes, one. What do we expect this year's college scene's going to be like? Because I don't think any of us are going to be able to run into Harper's anytime soon. I don't think anyone's going to Harper's anytime soon, but – uh, I think it's just it's gonna be really weird. Uh, I definitely think it's gonna be a lot of uh, chilling at home in the apartment, trying hoping that sports are gonna be going on. Kind, of, I think that college football season, it's it's they're gonna try it. It's gonna be a start and stop because there's no real organization in the NCAA right now. Uh, no classes. Uh, hopefully people are social distancing but they probably won't because they're college kids so who knows uh, i think what was it i say go ahead kyle go ahead oh uh i think it'll be weird because like especially for us uh in com arts a lot of uh, the, uh, the places we have classes in are computer labs and it's really hard to spread out computer labs because those aren't six feet so i think if you do i mean you might have i can see a, uh, a scenario where they have like one class split into two labs and the professor just in the middle in the hallway or something. But it's, it's you, not going to feel like school. My question is, what do you do if someone doesn't want to wear a mask? Because you know there are going to be people like that. Like, people are just going to come to campus and outright refuse. And I know Stanley sent us an email a couple of weeks ago saying that you would follow procedure in the student handbook. And it's like, what are you going to do? Give them a lunch detention? Like, <laughs> you can't really do that anymore. I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to put them on probation like I just I don't know what like people are adults now and it's hard to really track people down and mandate that like I just I don't know how you feasibly do that no I can't I, think, I can't see a professor turning someone away from class if they're not wearing a mask I mean like it, it, I mean I, I just I think it's gonna be a mess and it's some like I'm a broadcast journalism minor so I was supposed to take 306 in the fall and like that's where you're dealing with those giant Panasonic cameras and you're filming and you're videoing. And it's like, what? It's like, I, I don't know how, what you're going to do. I don't like, nobody's going to want to talk. I mean, and that, that's the thing too, is I got 300. It's like, nobody's going to want to talk. I mean, it's hard enough to get people to talk when there is not a pandemic, a global pandemic going on. So I, it, it's going to be interesting. And I mean, I think we're just all going to have to be flexible. That, that's kind of the conclusion I've come to. Yeah, I think, especially as re student reporters, I think we're going to have to be very creative uh, with how we cover events on campus with uh, trying to try to find interviews with people when people aren't out doing things and covering sports when there might not even be sports try to and like, or how are we going to cover the game day experience when people aren't tailgating or at the stadium, possibly it's going to be it's going to be really weird. 
what they need to train us on is giving us like those like nine foot long boom mics. <laughs> like you're interviewing a subject and you just see like this boom mic like in the shot. Like that's what I'm fully preparing for, but I'm hoping that grades are significantly easier, if, if that makes any sense. Like, Hattie, I don't know. Have you, Kyle, have you taken 300 yet? Uh, no, yeah, I'm taking it this year. So, I'm like, taking 300 I, right now in the summer. How is and it? It's, it's pretty tough just because, well, everything I'm writing right now is about the pandemic in like Ingham County area. And a lot of people just don't want to talk. They're just like, I'm not an expert on the pandemic, even though their job, they have like jobs in government where they're just like, should know stuff. But the professor's been very lenient with the grades, which is nice. Who do you have? Visconti. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I had her for 200. Now, my my only thing is, are, are you allowed to do like, because I, I know for, um, for like 200, we had to do like in-person stuff. Like, are they allowing you to do like phone interviews and like calling people and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, everything, pretty much everything I've been doing has been Zoom and um, phone interviews. Because I know they were strict, I know they were strict upon that, but obviously you, oh, um, you provided a good segue for us to get into our next segment, which is COVID-19 holding college football hostage. And that's, I think probably the best way you can really describe it because the NCAA right now doesn't seem to know what they want to do. They had that meeting yesterday and they basically voted to kick the can down the road they were debating the board of governors mark emmer the ncaa president were voting do we cancel fall championships and if that was the case then obviously college football you could might as well stick a knife in the season big 10 acc big 12 and all announcing conference only games meaning that if there is a season a lot of these notable non-conference games obviously michigan state byu michigan state miami michigan washington go down the drain so right now what you're best case scenario is is a 10 game non-conference season but you also have a bunch of fcs division one sub a conferences canceling the MEAC, the swac patriot league a lot of juco schools really starting to cancel and at least for me there's no question college football screwed this year like i just i don't see how it can happen and then michigan state having to quarantine for two weeks, the entire football team, because you have a staffer and another member test positive for the virus. I just, it seems like every credible sports writer, Kyle Austin, Solari, Couchler, all like, you read between the lines. They're very skeptical. I was going to say, yes, Solari wrote a piece about how college football might be a pipe dream. Austin, who works for MLive, wrote that this feels like what happened in March, except it's slower. The Ivy League cancels first. And then everybody, everything else kind of trickles down. Um, I just, I, I think, especially with state regulations and with social distancing and all of this stuff, I just don't see how it works. Like Michigan State, obviously, having to suspend voluntary workouts. And this isn't like the pro- professional sports are a completely different aspect. They're unionized. You can keep them in a bubble. I mean, student athletes still got to go to class. And there's still a party scene. And you can't really... This isn't like the Brooklyn Nets when you have 20 players on your team. Like, if you're a football coach, you have uh, over 100 players. You can't look after them all. There's going to be one, two, three of them that are going to party, and then what happens is you have another outbreak like you did at Harper's where 150 people are sick. So I I, I just – I can't see it happening, and I don't want to be doom and gloom because I was on SRZ earlier, and I said I think there will be college football but without fans. But at least for me – 
it's like I thought the cases would be going down and it's going up and it's going up and it's going up and we were supposed to have this summer was supposed to be when it tapered off and then it was supposed to roar back again in the fall but there's been no stopping it's like if this is the downturn and the fall is going to be worse we, no even Emmert has said the NCAA president that things need to get changed really quickly and the course needs to be altered really quickly for there to be a season. Like I just, it just every, there doesn't seem to be any positive news and it just seems like that's the way everything is trending. I don't know how you guys feel, but that's, that's my two cents. No, it's, it's scary because uh, when I, uh, uh, full story, like full disclosure, I actually contracted the virus about a month ago. I'm all good now, but uh, I was learning during that process that I was actually most contagious two days before I actually had any symptoms at all. And so now I'm worried that like, so let's say like during the course of the season, like if like, if like Ohio State's going down the stretch, they're competing for a big 10 title. And then the, 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 they get two weeks, they play Michigan and Penn State, I don't know the schedule, but if they get it, would they just have to like forfeit those two weeks? I, I don't know. And that's the problem is there's so many logistical things. What happens if you're, going through a season, Michigan playing Michigan State, and then it comes out three days before the game. Oh, Michigan has two players that tested positive. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to happen everywhere. Absolutely. Once kids get back on campus, and I don't – if you're the NCAA, I don't know how you can save face and say, yup, we're going to put it – because um, Clemson just announced they're going virtual for the first for, for the foreseeable future in the fall. How can you say, oh, yep, it's safe for our players to play, but it's not even safe enough for our own students – to be on campus like that looks really bad and it looks like a catch-22 so I just there's just so many hurdles that need to be passed and we're a month away like if this happened in February we might have a better chance but what do you do if you're a mid-major school and you you know you're losing all this money Toledo's going to be out of butt ton of money because they're not coming to East Lansing anymore and I, I what about bowl games what about bowl games? You needed six wins on a 12-game schedule. You go six and six, normally you, you get in. Now if there's a 10-game schedule, how do you change that? If one conference has nine games, if another has 10, how do you judge that for the college football playoff? Like there's so many issues that need to be addressed. And I just don't think there's enough time. because I And I know that the next Board of Governors meeting is August 4th for, for uh, the NCAA. And I think that's going to be the day where the hammer is going to have to be brought down. Because I thought last night was frankly going to be the night when everything just went to went kaputs, and it's yeah. a scary thought. But I just I don't see how when you have you know Solari, uh, you know it's just these credible reporters all saying the same thing, and there and then you have you know the Notre Dame AD, Ohio State AD, very concerned about the prospect of a season. It's like, man, it's just it's not looking good. It's not. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing with all this is the lack of leadership from the NCAA itself. Uh, it, they pretty much at the beginning of the pandemic after March Band, they canceled the NCAA tournament for college basketball. They released a statement saying that they're going to have a unified response to COVID-19 and they're going to work with all the conferences, all the schools. And we haven't seen any of that happen. They kind of and then all the conferences have kind of scrambled and created their own plans. And that's why we've seen all the different responses. SEC still wants a 12-game season. ACC wants in Big Ten, Big 12, all want in-conference. It's kind of just a mess. Some governors, like the Connecticut governor said, they're not going to allow school, other schools to travel to Connecticut to play football. And I think other governors might follow the same 
thing. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if Whitmer says that sports teams can't travel to Michigan because she's been so proactive in the response. So that could be a major impact on MSU season two. I just – I wish we had an NCAA commissioner right now. I really do. Like, it's times like this when it's like you need one guy to just say enough. We're going one way or we're going the other. The season's supposed to begin in a month. You can't keep delaying and delaying. Say one way or the other. You have to at this point. Okay. Yeah, and Mark Emmert's not the guy for that, too. No. God, no. God, no. And it's it's just it, – this, for me, is one of those things where, like, everybody knows what's coming, but they, they want an excuse. They don't want to be the first domino to fall. Like, one of these conferences wants another one to do it, so that way they can save face and kind of go under the curtain and – but I just – I don't know. And if we do have college football, if we do, I think it's pretty much guaranteed right now there's going to be no fans. I can't see any world in which that's the case. And it's going to be weird going into Spartan Stadium. I mean, it, it's not weird if you're talking October, November Michigan State football games mm-hmm. with four and six and our, there's only 15,000 people like there was when they played Maryland. Um, but it's just – I don't know. It's just going to be weird because it's going to feel like a practice. Like you get used to seeing the fans and you get used to seeing the student section. And it's just the environment that we know as college football is changing before our very eyes. And I don't know if we ever get it back again. Like there might be some lasting impacts for the game of college football after this is over. Because I think this whole coronavirus pandemic has really exposed a lot of flaws in how college football is orchestrated and in the power structure of the NCAA and the Power Five conferences because you have five very powerful entities and then a bunch of smaller little entities do each doing something different, each doing whatever they want. The Big Ten jumped out ahead of the rest of the pack, and now they kind of force the hand of every other conference. So it just, there needs to be more of a regional cooperative. I, I, there needs to be something because what's happening right now is not good enough. It's just not. No, it's not. And if I, if I was commissioner today, I say football teams are too big to try to contain this. Cancel the season, folks on basketball, hockey, all those on other winter sports. And my, my only, are you guys, like, am I the only one that's skeptical of, like, a spring season? Like, for me, I'm like, what, what are you going to do? That's my whole thing is that just backlogs everything else. Okay, let's I, yeah. we start in January, we end in April. And then you're going to be practicing in two months. Nobody's going to have time to recover from injuries. And I just say this, like, if you're, if you're like MSU athletics, what are you going to do if you have men's basketball, hockey, and football going on at the same time? Are you going to have enough parking spaces? Like, that's just a logistical nightmare. I mean, I, I, I just – I think a back – and it just throws another wrench, and I, I, I don't know when we get another vac- – if we get a vaccine. I just, I'm really skeptical on that idea. Because then what happens with the NFL draft? Who knows? I, I think the prospects of a spring season are pretty low just because coaches don't want to put their players in a position where they have to only have like a month off season. They can't recruit. They can't use the games as recruiting tools. Uh, players will hate it too. The, some players probably won't play if they have to play in spring and then follow right back up in the fall. They'll probably choose to sit out spring season. It's just – logistically it doesn't make sense at all um basketball will be a lot easier because teams are smaller it's easier it would be easier to contain the spread but i also think that the college basketball season could be delayed too just because how poorly the pandemic is being handled 
and the lack of leadership from the NCAA, who the college football, how they handle college football has made me just feel much worse about the prospects of college basketball season. Well, and the thing with college basketball, too, is you don't have, in college football, you don't have schools going down to Maui or to the Bahamas or to other foreign countries playing football games. So for a school like Michigan State, who go, you know, does Maui Jim Maui every year, I have a hard time believing that they would be allowed off the mainland. So you're going to have a lot of these tournaments probably canceled. I mean, you have tournaments down in Florida all the time. You have tournaments in high-impact areas. It's like if that's washed, then that's five games of your season gone. I mean, that's a scheduling nightmare. What are you going to do, play Alabama A&M? Schedule in five times? It's like I, I just – I don't know because – and then you talk about it from a contract aspect. A lot of these sort of fields are agreed upon years in advance. Do those get voided? It's just until we have a vaccine – you know, to put a ball on this, until we have a vaccine, I'm very skeptical on everything right now. I just, I, 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 you can't prevent college students from going out and partying. You can't. And if you think that you can, you're, you don't, you obviously, A, either never went to college, or B, are really, really, really naive. You're not going to tell a hundred men, nope, none of you guys can go out and party. You think they're going to listen to you? No. Thank God, no. Okay, they're going to go out and party. They're going to go, because that's what college students do. Okay, and even if we do have, you know, a season, I mean, this might be a rough year for MSU football. Let's be blunt, okay? I had them going like six and six, seven and five. If they were playing Toledo, thought maybe they could beat Miami because Manny Diaz is just an abysmal head coach. Um, but, like, if they're going Big Ten, like 10 games – I, I they might be the second or third worst team in the East. Like I like Mel Tucker. I like what he's done from a recruiting aspect. I think he's got the right juice and a really good coaching staff. But everything that's could have gone wrong for Michigan State this offseason has. You can't be with your players. I mean, virtual stuff is nice and great, but you got to get out on the field. You have to because it's easy to sit behind a screen and fake like you know what you're talking about and go uh huh I know yup and then you go on the field and that's where what separates the men from the boys. So there's going to be a huge learning curve that obviously Michigan State coming into the year without an established quarterback. Um, could they have a winning record? I guess if they go Big Ten only like my – my whole thing is it depends if they get what who they get out of the West. I think they can beat Rutgers. I think they can beat Maryland. They normally have Indiana's number. But, like, they were scheduled to play Iowa and Minnesota. Ain't winning either one of those games. But if you have, like, Northwestern – if you have uh, Illinois, Purdue, those schools you could probably beat. Like, Look, I was just going to say, I'm looking at the schedule right now. From the West, they're playing Northwestern, Iowa, and Minnesota. But my only season. question, though, is that – because that first week I don't think is technically a conference game. Like, that's not that, – that's like a – not it, like, it's weird because I remember UNC and Wake Forest did the same thing last year. Where, like, that I think it is game, a conference it, game. I thought it – I don't know. Because on their website, they took off all the non-conference games for the schedule, and they still have the Northwestern game. It might be. It might be. I don't know. Because I know that, that, that like, first week a lot of times is non-conference, and I don't know if it's what – I don't know how that works if you can schedule a non-conference – or if you can schedule a conference team and c- call it a non-conference. I, I don't know. But let's move on to some MSU men's basketball where good things are happening on the court instead of college football because I feel like we've kicked that 
can down the road as far as we possibly can. I, MSU obviously making the final six for four-star point guard Jaden Akins, the number one player in Michigan. 247 Sports is confident that he will go to MSU. They have all three lead expert, recruiting experts. I don't know how you get to be a recruiting expert, but safe to say 247, which is a very credible website, is very confident in the ability of Michigan State to get Akins. And if Michigan State could get Akins for the class of 2021, look out. It's that simple with Amani, with Max Christie, with all these guys. I mean, they could be absolutely insane. Oh yeah, you're you're looking at it at like a, a Zion, a Cam Reddish, and uh, what's when, RJ Barrett? RJ sorry, Barrett. yes. Uh, you're looking at that kind of class where you you might get them for one year, but they're going to do some damage in that one year. I mean, yeah, I, I oh, I was just going to say, I I think the Imani Bates effect is real. I think uh, people want to come to M- a lot more. The high end recruits recognize that. Bates is the best player in high school basketball right now, and they if they have the chance, they want to play with him for a year, chase that title. And I and if he reclassifies to twenty twenty one, and we land Atkins Atkins because we need a point guard still, I think it'll be it'll be a scary year for uh, other teams in the Big Ten twenty twenty two. My own, and if you're Michigan State right now, you got to hope that Bates reclassifies to twenty twenty one, and I think he will. Because I don't see a world in which Imani comes in in the class of 2022 and doesn't want to play with Max Christie, doesn't want to play with pre, with Pierre Brooks. Like, I think that's set in stone. And Aikens, obviously playing with Imani over at the new cre- newly created Ipsy Prep Academy, that does a lot of favors for Michigan State. Because as you said, Jared, you get Imani, everybody else wants to be around that kid. Because every game that Imani plays, you're going to have scouts, you're going to have GMs, you're going to have NBA personnel up the wazoo at those games. And the fact that these other guys, even though these scouts are going to come to watch Imani, they might be able to catch the idea of one or two of those scouts. That's what it, I mean, and I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, this will – and Izzo, this is better, in my opinion, than the Winston, Bridges, Jackson, Langford class. Oh, yes. Bardon. Okay, Imani Bates is that good. It, it's, I mean, he goes uh, – went right down the road from me and Ypsilanti Lincoln. This kid – is something special. Kevin Durant-esque jumper, long, lanky, the whole nine yards. He is going to be an absolute monster. I mean, he, he, he's just that good. And Michigan State, if you have those guys, you have two five-stars, two highly rated four-stars, the two best players in Michigan, how can you not be the national title favorite? Yeah, it's uh, – money. watching him play, it's, it's how basketball should be played, and I'm just – I'm praying, praying to the god, the gods that he uh, doesn't go to the G League like some of the other top recruits did this year. But I think there's a strong chance he'll reclassify and he'll come to MSU. He's been very adamant that he loves MSU through this whole process and that he wants to get that college experience. So I think, I think he's there's a good chance that MSU is going to be amazing in 2022. MSU also in the running for five star center. Enoch Boyake, who's another stud. This kid, long, lanky, athletic, kind of a Matty Sissoko-esque, really good rim protector, really good rebounder, still really raw. He's now projected to go to Michigan State, too. So you're talking about three five-stars and two highly rated four-stars, the two best players. In Michigan, I mean, Michigan State, the rich just keep getting richer. Like, and the fact that this will happen during my senior year, hopefully, 
is just unreal. I mean, as a reporter, you dream about things like this, being able to cover a team with three, four, five future NBA players. The, I mean, it, it just – it's it's almost one of those things where it's too good to be true because I think as Michigan State reporters and other people who are Michigan State fans, you get so hyped up and then bad things happen. You know what I mean? We get People get let down so much. But, I mean, at least right now, they are the they Michigan State basketball is like the only team right now that's doing anything good. And what I mean by that is they're the only team giving anybody else any hope. I mean, the football team, you know, can't practice. So I, I don't know what you guys' thoughts are on this, but if you get Bokeh and you're talking Gabe Brown, Imani Bates, Max Christie, AJ Hoggard, are is it like a title or bust here for Michigan State? And wouldn't that be Rocket senior year too? Yeah, but I, I think he goes pro. I think he would go pro before then, to be honest with you. I think Henry's gone by then. And if there is a – I think there will be some abbreviated college basketball season because I, and I think Rocket goes. I think Rocket's that good too. I, maybe he'll definitely be gone by his junior. I don't think he's going to be around um, by the time his senior year rolls around. I agree. But he, uh, if, if you want to get really hypothetical, he could be tempted by the, by the chance to play with them and look better. Because with that with that type of talent around him, it reflects better on him. He's degraded draft stock. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think he's gone by his junior year. But that's that's still tempting. And uh, just playing a little devil's advocate, let's say Mon doesn't reclassify. What, like, it could entice, like, Brooks, Christie, um, Akins, and Boyaki. I, I didn't think I said that right. Uh, but it could entice them to stay another year, kind of do what Miles did because he knew Jaron was coming in the next year and maybe, like, try to take that title run with, with a year under their belts. I mean, it's just it, – it's, it, it's a scary thought. It really is. Like, if you're every other school in the Big Ten – um, when Amani classified, your heart just fell. And nobody recruited Amani because everybody assumed he was an NBA lock or he was a G League lock. Izzo is the only one who had enough common sense to say, mm, maybe there's a small – like, what? he couldn't hurt. Couldn't he hurt. might want to go to college, yeah. And I, I think he probably will. I, he said he didn't want to go to the G League, and I, I, I don't know. I don't think he would want to either. I really yeah, – I don't think it's a feasible route for him. I can't, I can't uh, see him doing that. Yeah, I think it's championship or bust with that roster. If MSU is able to hold on to all those dudes, I think I think Atkins is the key the key piece in this class. Just because as of right now, Michigan State has one and a half point guards on their roster right Foster now. Lawyers, Rockets, yeah. Foster Lawyers plays basketball. He's had his moment. He was really good his freshman year against Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament. Other than that, he's been disappointing but rocket watts can bring the ball up but we don't know if he's the facilitator that we're, we've been used to the last four years with winston well he's definitely not but i don't know if he can grow into a better playmaker because he most of the time when he got the ball he's looking for his own shot so i think bringing in hoggard he is an unproven commodity he was a combo guard played point guard and shooting guard so i think atkins is key because he is a true point guard that would be able to set up the other players on the team very well kind of like how Trey Jones was a key piece for Duke when they had all those other when they had Reddish, Zion, and Barrett. And uh so I think if we can land Atkins and we get another playmaker in the backcourt, which could very well be Christie or Bates, I think it's championship or bust for sure. 
So my only question is, let, let's look at this year really quick, because obviously all that's not going to be until hopefully after the pandemic's over and everything has some semblance of normalcy. What are our expectations this year? Because at least for me, Michigan State basketball this year, I think, could take a bit of a step back. They just don't have enough bodies right now. I mean, you got, what, 10, 11 players on scholarship? I think Aaron Henry comes back first and foremost because every mock draft that I've seen, he's undrafted. He's a very good 3 and D defender, a very can bring the ball up if you really need him to, but he didn't really start showing what he was capable of until the second half of the season. In a half a season of solid play without tournament play, he was one of the guys, mind you, who was hurt the most by that because if he has a strong tournament, he might decide to pull the trigger if he can get himself into the mid to early second round. But other than I, I think he comes back, and contrary to what Dick Vitale said with that really interesting report that had no sources and arguably no credibility, I, I can't imagine Tillman comes back. I think he's hit his peak physically. I don't think he's going to be – he doesn't come across to me as a guy that's ever going to be like a really freak athlete. Very smart, very fundamentally sound, but he is what he is right now. Very good defender, good rebounder, will be able to knock down a fair share of perimeter shots, and that's pretty much it. And they have him in the first round. Like, I don't think if he comes back, there's he's never going to be a lottery pick. I just don't think he has that kind of ceiling and that kind of potential. So most mock drafts that I've seen, he's a, in the mid-late first round, and I think that's enough for him to stay in the draft. And, no, I you're mean, right. Uh, go oh, go ahead, Kyle. Go ahead. You're uh, good. Um, yeah, I, I was gonna say like like I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think he's like a, he's like a really high floor guy. Like you know exactly what you're gonna get. Like you, you you're not taking a risk on anything. It's not raw potential you have to develop and possibly pays off. You know what you're getting. It's just a solid, smart, uh, big guy. A good rotation piece is in essence what you're getting. Exactly. Yes. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like a Doug McDermott, Frank Kaminsky sort of player where maybe get you 10, 11 points a game. Like, good good player. You know, don't get me wrong. He has a place in the NBA, but doesn't have superstar potential, What's also not going to be playing in China in two years. Like, yeah. that, that's what Xavier Tillman is. I think uh, he kind of reminds me a lot of Bam Adebayo for the Miami Heat. He, uh, same play style, but he's not as athletic, not as tall. But he's a strong defender, good playmaker, great in the pick and roll. And he's probably one of the smartest prospects in the entire draft, just – Anytime he talked to the media this year, he was so professional, so just organized. He had a kid ha halfway through the season, didn't impact his play, and he was still able to keep up with all his um, school and family responsibilities. I, I know I, I would never be able to do something like that as a college student, so I have the utmost respect for Tillman. And I think any NBA team should go for someone that can carry themselves like that, especially as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old. You know, one team that could probably use Xavier Tillman is the Detroit Tigers after that pitiful <laughs> performance last night. Detroit loses 7-1. to Matt Boyd goes five innings, four-run ball. Tigers, after having a 43-win – or no, it wasn't 43. I think it was 46 or 47 wins. 43 was the 3 season. Detroit loses again 7-1 to to the Reds after playing them in the final three games of spring training. Guys, how good can Detroit really be? I mean, I've seen predictions ranging from 20 wins to them making the playoffs just because it's a 60-game year. And they started off 7-3 and three last year. And halfway through the season, Detroit was only five games under 500, and they weren't that bad. I mean, then the wheels fell off in the second half. 
But this, when you normally the baseball baseball season can be summed up and it's a marathon, not a sprint. This year it's a sprint. So at least for me, I, I can't see them having any more than 25, 26 wins. I mean, I just after tonight, I mean, after last night, you just realize there is so much more that this team needs. Obviously, the additions of CJ Crone, Jonathan Scope, Austin Romine, Crone and Scope especially will give you 25 home runs in a 160-game year, but they add a lot of power. But this wasn't supposed to be the year Detroit was supposed to be good. Next year is supposed to be a little bit better. And then the year after, once you have Mize, Manning, Scooball, Ridley Green, Torque, Fiedo, Perez, Isaac Paradis, once those guys come up, then you're going to be scary. But I can't see them making the playoffs. I just – I don't think they have it in them. I think Minnesota – beats the pants off them. I think Cleveland beats the pants off them and Chicago's farther along in the rebuild. The only team in the central that I think they could give a run for their money is the Royals. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right there. Um, I think they'll get, I think you, I think you got rather about the right range. I said 23. Cause I think this year you will see two or three guys start to show their flashes, what they can, what they can become like, Oh yeah, that's why they got this guy. And I think it'll, it'll propel them to 23. I think the Royals finished like 2021. 20, but yeah, uh, so next next year should be uh, a lot better. But this year, I think you'll start to see the pieces come together. Yeah, I with the pitching staff that they have right now, without any of those exciting young pitchers on the team at the moment, I don't see them being competitive at all. Probably a bottom five team in the MLB. But the additions were Romine, Crone, uh, and Super, all very good power hitters. Candelario, hopefully he'll take another step. Goodrum, Goodrum looked yet good yesterday in the field. Wasn't that good on the plate, but hopefully, hopefully some of these people can take steps. Uh, Cameron Maben almost uh, murdered the Reds catcher. LA chucked it. I saw that. <laughs> I just the my thing with the Tigers and this whole rebuild and everything is that somebody needs to step up. Candy was supposed to be the guy, and was I think it was uh what was it that it might have been the Alex Wilson Justin Verlander or not that the the Alex Avila Justin Wilson deal, nothing, absolutely nothing. Batting a buck sixty in spring training, wasn't good. Franklin Perez who came over in the Verlander deal, done very little. Jake Rogers who was also part of that Verlander deal, hasn't done anything. And then you look at guys like Christian Stewart who were drafted in the first round. He right now doesn't look like a really solid future uh, left fielder. I mean, he, he definitely has some bench potential, but there's just too many gas not hitting the cutoff, man. He's done that time and time and time again. And that's the stuff that drives Garden higher crazy. And Detroit's got enough coming up the pipe where I really don't know if there's anybody on this team that's going to be around in five years. Like, Ivan Nova – uh, Matt Boyd, Daniel Norris, Dario Agraziol, Tyler Alexander ain't going to win you many games. Let's be honest. I mean, Boyd's a good strikeout artist, but they, they don't have a lot of pitching. They don't. And then you have, other than Buck Farmer and Jimenez, you're running out David McKay and Jose Cisnero out of the bullpen. That's not going to scare anybody. Yeah, it's not like Jimenez and Farmer scaring many people either. I mean, it, it, Go ahead, Chiefs. No, go ahead, Kyle. I... Uh, 
no, I, 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 I think that's a good thing when you're in a rebuild is that saying yeah, none of these guys should be on the team in a couple of years because that's how I feel with the Red Wings. Uh, like when you have that kind of a farm system where it's just straight up like this, once they all click, this team is going to be dangerous. Like Astros good but without the cheating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah. we, should, we should, even though it's an abbreviated 60-game year and since every sports radio station is doing this, World Series predictions in this very topsy-turvy 16-playoff team format. I'm going to go with a little bit of an old flavor, cause, just because even though I think the Dodgers are probably top down the best team in the NL, I just didn't want to pick the Dodgers again because everybody's picked the Dodgers. And it seems like whenever there's a unanimous pick, they never win. I mean, how many people had the Nationals winning last year? So I'm going to go the Twins over the Braves with a very – it's like a 1990s, you know, John Smoltz sort of-esque flavor. And the only reason – why I pick Minnesota is when you have Nelson Cruz, Byron Buxton, Josh Donaldson, Miguel Snow. They got like five guys that can hit above 30 home runs. I mean, yeah, their offense is insane. It's going to take hitters. A, it always takes hitters a longer time to get going. Okay. A lot of times hitters aren't going to really hit their groove to the second, third month of the year. This year's only three months. So while everybody else's hitters are still catching up, I think Minnesota's are in the best position to get acquainted really quickly and get going. I mean, I, I, I think Rocco Baldelli's a heck of a manager. The Twins won 101 games last year. The, the success that they had last year, they hadn't achieved since Ron Gardner was there back in the early 2000s. And then with Atlanta, I mean, just the dark I, – I think they're the second-best team top-down other than the Dodgers. You have 97 wins last year. Obviously, Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr., Marcelo Zuna, Matt Adams, and Ender Enciarte. They got a lot of pieces, too. Brian Snicker's a heck of a manager, and they're, they are a dark horse for me. They really are. And I wouldn't be surprised to see in three weeks my predictions look absolutely crappy. I just didn't want to do the Dodgers because everybody's been doing the Dodgers. Well, then I'm about to sound really dumb because I am taking the Dodgers. <laughs> um, the thing that made me go with this was, so instead of, you get, instead of the Dodgers getting Clayton Kershaw that's choking the postseason, you get him right as he hit it. He's hitting that mid-season like stride where he's he's pitching his best. And instead of it being regular season, it's playoff game that counts. So I think that'll be enough to propel them. And with that roster, it's just top to bottom scary. So yeah, that is over Yankees for me. Uh, for me, I have the Braves over the Yankees. Uh, I like the Braves. The Braves hitting is was one of the best in the uh, MLB last year. Their pitching was a little up and down, kind of. Caused them to fall into the wild card where they got spanked by the Cardinals. Um, but they added Felix Hernandez, a great veteran who will bring a lot to the team. And I think, and I think Acuna is only going to get better. I think Albies is only going to get better. Freddie Freeman's going to, I think Freddie Freeman's going to thrive. He's one of the best, um, one of the best catchers, or, oh my God, first baseman. <laughs> uh, and I just, Marcelo Zuna is scary good. Uh, I just I think they have all the pieces this year. I think last year was kind of the year where they did better than people they did better than they expected themselves, better than people expected. And I think this is the year where it's all putting it together. And the Dodgers, they I think the Dodgers have the best roster in baseball, but they've just choked for the last four years. So I just I have no confidence picking them. That's exactly what I was going to say exactly about the Dodgers is it's like, it's exactly like Gardy in the twins in the early two thousands, you win a hundred games every year, but you know, you have Justin Morneau, Joe Maurer, and then you get to the playoffs and you just, you lose it. 
you lose it. And I, 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 I until the, you, you have to shut me up if you're the Dodgers. Getting to the World Series is no longer good enough. You have to finally break through and win it one of these years. But, I mean, they, they got I don't the piece. think they can. I don't think they can. They got Mookie, so it's all in from now. What? 12 years? Like, am I the only one who just cannot stand these exorbitant deals? Like, you're paying a guy till he's 35. I don't care, okay? People forget how good Miguel Cabrera used to be. Miguel Cabrera at his peak was better than maybe Mike Trout will ever be. I'll say that. I will. Better than Mookie Betts will ever be. When you're abating 340 with 50 home runs in Comerica, which is not a pitcher-friendly park at all, I mean, Miguel Cabrera is, at his peak, one of the probably four or five best first basemen ever. Ever. That good. I would agree. He's got a better batting average than Derek Jeter did. He's got a better batting average, I believe, than A-Rod did. Much better batting average than Barry Bonds ever did. Like, he's batting 320. That's absolutely insane. I mean, very rarely do you ever see a guy who can rack up 130 RBIs but also bat 340. Like, that two-year stretch, three-year stretch, when he was when he won the triple crown and then should have won it the year after, but Chris Davis just barely beat him out in the home runs category. Like I, I, I huge mistake for the Dodgers. I just I can't see paying someone that much money. That's like a hockey move. Pay somebody for that long. Not even a hockey move. I've never seen that. There's one player on. There's two people in sports I can justify that with. One's Mahomes. The other one's Vic David. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I just. I, uh, like, it, Betts is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but when I think of, hmm, best players in the MLB, he's like not the first one that comes to mind. He's, yeah, he's not. Mike Trout and everybody else. Player. He's been a top five player the last three years, but you look at you look at everyone who's gotten these deals that have been 10 plus years in the MLB, Alex Rodriguez, Miguel Cabrera, Justin Verlander. I mean, Verlander's still productive, but these guys have all tapered off after the first – first four or five years of these deals and then it's there's no cap hit so that's why these deals are fixed but you look at the Red Sox the Red Sox didn't want to spend that kind of money and save it for the future it's just I I feel like you could get two players that have more production for bets for the same amount of money in less years but bets is that good the Dodgers are one of the richest franchises so I guess if you have the money might as well spend it I mean, but I, I, maybe it's just because, maybe it's just because as someone who watches the Tigers, every time I think of a large deal like that, I'm like, holy crap, there's someone on the hook for Cabrera for another three years. I mean, that's what happens. You might get six or seven good years. Like they're paying a guy in his prime now. Your prime doesn't last for 12 years, maybe another five, six, and then it's a slow, slow increase. And then you end up having the year like Miguel Cabrera did last year where he wasn't one of the best He's on the lower half in terms of, if you want to call him the first baseman, DH. 280 with 12 home runs in 100-some-odd games is not good enough. Not even close. Mm-hmm. And I, I just – big contracts, you're taking a massive, massive, massive risk. And you're hampering your future. If it doesn't work, you're stuck with this massive contract. Speaking of massive contracts and people being overpaid, it's the NBA because that's the league where that happens more than anybody mm-hmm. else. Life in the bubble. Heard reports about Zion Williamson, other players going to attend to family matters, leaving the bubble. Life in the bubble seems quite interesting. 
not gonna lie. Like I, it, I know it's not like a massive like when it when when they originally were talking about this, I thought of like one of those like inflatable air domes that just was like around Disney World. But I just my question is, I think I, I think the NBA finishes its year, but I just put will the bubble burst because I think that's an ever present risk. I just putting a, a you put a bunch of thirty year old grown men together. For a long period of time, they're going to get a little stir crazy. I can't. There was one player, and I don't know who it was that invited in some. Uh, how do I put this, Micey? Some less than reputable um, entertainment into the building, and got reprimanded by the NBA. So I just can see a couple of people doing that and just ruining everything. Like all it takes is one person to say, "Nah, screw this," and screw everything up. So I, the NBA is walking to Razor's edge right now, in my opinion. It, it's close. Yeah, Rashawn Holmes for the Kings, he, uh, he uh, had to enter two-week quarantine within the bubble because he uh, tried to Uber eat some food from the outside because the grilled chicken and vegetables wasn't enough for him. Uh, so I definitely think there's a chance – I definitely think there's a chance that the bubble will burst. I think some people will get – will think that it's – they can stretch the rules, bend them. Uh, I know for play for once after the regular season games, the eight games they play, uh, some or after the first round of the playoffs, that people can bring in more family members. That could be a m- massive issue um, if someone has it. But uh, their last test test they ran, their uh, they had zero positive tests. Russell Westbrook, who is one of the people that had COVID, he is fine now. So. For the time being, I think it, it it can work, but there's definitely some concerns to be had. Well, here's my thinking, okay? These players of the lower teams that are there when you have the Wizards and the Kings and all these other teams who don't have a shot to win the title, do you, re- do you really think that they've diluted themselves so much and that they're of the belief? Like, they'll go out and tell you to the press, oh, yeah, we feel like we have as good of a chance as anyone. We've been practicing hard. That's what players say. But, like, if it's me and I'm playing for the Wizards and I was really lucky by the grace of God just to get there, what the heck? I'm going to live it up and have some fun. Like, if you don't have a chance at the title, I think you're a lot less likely to take the necessary precautions than a team like Boston or a team like Toronto or a team like Milwaukee because they know, unequivocally, I have a very, very good chance. Like, if I screw this up and act selfish, we could lose a chance at a title. But it's like, just because you're there, let's be honest. The Wizards are going to get bounced like that. The Magic are going to get bounced like that. Okay? I mean, there are some teams there that should not be there. That you, that you, you don't – I am not – 22 uh, – a 22 playoff format drove me insane. Absolutely insane. And it's the same thing with the NHL. Kyle, what's the NHL? 24 teams or 22? 24 out of 30. 80 percent 80 no in nowhere should 80 percent of a team in anywhere pandemic or no pandemic 80 percent of a league should not be going to the playoffs like i'm not even the biggest fan, i'm not even the biggest fan of the 16 team format like you don't you shouldn't get a participation medal that's the problem with the east and you know is when you have 40 41 win teams going 500 making it every year like, especially with with all the risks too you're just increasing the amount of people that could have the virus, could spread it to other people. If they bring that, if they bring family members, it's just you're just adding unnecessary numbers to a already precarious situation. Like I, I wanted ten, 
that that was my personal opinion. Bring the ten best teams. Bring the teams that have proven they can beat anybody else in the league. Don't bring teams like the Wizards, who are I don't know, I don't have the record on hand, but are below five hundred in the weak Eastern Conference. When you're playing the Knicks and the Bulls and the Hornets and the Cavs and you the Pistons and you still can't even manage a five hundred record. I mean, you don't belong there. You don't. I'm sorry. Like you yeah, it's, it's supposed to be about minimizing the spread, not giving everybody who lives and breathes a chance to win the title. No, I agree. And, like, the NBA isn't leaving without a parity. It's really top-heavy. Like, you usually know going in the top you, – you, you probably named the top seven teams that actually have a shot on the title, and the other 23 are just kind of there to not get stomped on. Just bring them. This, this is, Like, it's not – the NBA isn't March Madness. There's not that much parity. You're not going to have that much competition. It's not worth the risk to bring, bring an extra 150, 200 people. I, and, and I wrote this in the doc just because this is the roster that Brooklyn is carrying. Now, mind you, when I was a boy, I watched the 7 and 59 Charlotte podcast because I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, as many of you guys know. I remember DJ Augustine, Tyrus Thomas, Byron Mullins, Ghana Diop, a bunch of people that nobody's ever heard of. They were that bad, finished 7 and 59. They had the worst winning percentage in NBA history. That was that 2011 lockout shorting year. Jared Allen, Justin Anderson, Chris Chioza, Jamal Crawford, Dante Hall, Joe Harris, Tyler Johnson, Kurix, Karis Levert, Luano Cabrero, Jeremiah Martin, Dazan Musa, Garrett Temple, and Lance Thomas. That is an absolutely horrific roster. That's like a G League roster. I That's mean, really? Like, it's, not the, it's the Pistons roster this year. No, it, oh, it's worse. No, 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 no. It, it is worse than the Pistons. Like, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even a Pistons slappy. At least the Pistons have some respectable veteran talent. I mean, before Blake, I mean, you still have Blake Griffin. You still have Canard. Yeah. You still have Svee. You still have, oh boy, what's why? I'm I just, I just watched too many of the games where it was just, where it was just Christian Wood carry, putting the team on his back at the end of the year, and watching Tim Frazier chuck balls off the side of the backboard. But yeah, this Nets team is disgusting. I watched their uh, their scrimmage against the Pelicans on Wednesday. It was the o- opening night of the NBA's like restart, and they lost by 30 points to the Pelicans without Zion. And Joe Harris looked like the only person out there that, in Karis Levert, were the only two people on that team that deserved to be on the court. Oh, it's just, and it's like I, it's like all I've heard about is minimizing the spread. Less people minimizes the spread. It's like this, this is the product you want to put on the like I don't Brooklyn might have been in the top eight. I think they were. I think they were in the top eight and they each they're the seventh seed. But they're holy crud, that is a pitiful, pitiful roster. Like I've I've said for years, either like I would have no problem A either redistricting the East and the West, because every year the East has the seven and eight seats below five hundred, which should never happen. And six like Am I the only one here who doesn't like the 16-team playoff format? Like, I don't like half the league having a chance at the title. I like the way the NFL and the MLB does it. You have to earn your spot, okay? Going 500 or doing the bare minimum should not be enough to have a chance to win a title. You should have to deserve it. Yeah, I think uh, I think 12 is a perfect number for sports playoffs. Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say for the NBA, I would keep I, – I would, I would make it 10 or 12. For the NHL, I'd keep 16. If, if I had my way. See, th- see, that's the thing. And, and the thing that I like about hockey 
I mean, and I, I'm giving Kyle his own little segment here coming up in a couple of minutes because God knows I know a tenth of about hockey as this guy does. But you want to talk about competitive sort of disparity. NHL, every one of those 16 teams has a shot. That's the one thing you got to love about hockey is that there is no sort of title favorite. Like, you know, the proof is in the pudding with Tampa Bay last year. The proof is in the pudding when whatever you, oh, you'd know better than me, but the year when Tampa Bay or the Kings is the eight seed ran ran rough shot. You never see an eight seed in the NBA do anything. That's the one thing about, and, and even the Hurricanes, seven seed go to Eastern Conference Finals. I mean. That happens all the time. So I'm more willing to let there be more teams in the NHL when they, whenever they get things going. I know they're in their training camp phase right now, but it's like for the NBA, it's like it's just as you said, you have your ten best teams, then everybody else is just a pretender. The NHL playoffs, everybody's a contender. That's what it comes down to. But I, as we did the MLB sort of predictions, I'm gonna go for my finals prediction. Finals, I'm you know air quotes around that. I'm going to go Lakers versus Celtics. And here's the reason why I'm not picking Milwaukee. Here's the reason I'm not picking Toronto. No, Boston doesn't have one superstar. Okay, they don't have an Adenokounmpo. But they are deeper, top down. On a good night, you have four guys that can score 20 points. Can't really say that about Milwaukee. Once you get outside of Adenokounmpo and on a good night, Chris Middleton, who do you have? Walker averaging over 20 a game. Jalen Brown averaging over 20 a game. Marcus Smart averaging over 20 a game. Gordon Hayward's, I think, at the 17, 18 points a game range. So one guy has a night off. Yeah, three other guys that can pick up the pace. Like, Boston is so deep, and they beat you in so many different ways. Like, I, I prefer teams that don't have to put all their eggs in one basket. Okay? Like, and that was so incredible about the Heat several years ago with Bosh and Wade and LeBron. Is one guy has an off night? Nah, you got three other Hall of Famers. If you include Ray Allen into that mix, who can uh, pick up the thing? And then obviously the Lakers with the strategy that surrounded Kobe Bryant. I just, it, as good as LeBron is, and no, I don't agree with Trent Bailey that he's the GOAT, but I think he's the second greatest player of all time. And I think he's the greatest player since MJ retired, objectively. And when he gets going, it doesn't matter. Him and AD going to run roughshod. Like, you get a motivated LeBron, you, you can't underestimate him. He's done a lot more with a lot less. So those, those are my two predictions. And maybe it's just because I want to I, – I do. I know I'm a sports journalist, but I want to see the Lakers win. I want to see them do something for, you know, for the memory of Kobe. Like when Boston won the World Series after the bombings and the later came out that, you know, that whole sign-stealing scandal. But that, that, that's how I feel, guys. Take it away. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so when I was making predict- my prediction, I think of the NBA, I think of top heavy. I, I was thinking that these are the NBA is a top heavy league and they've had time to rest. So obviously I went with Kawhi and Kawhi to lead another run. And I went with Giannis to continue his dominance. So I have books uh, versus Clippers. Yeah, I, I'm, I have the same finals. I have books Clippers. I think NBA, it's all about star power. LeBron is the best player in the West, but I think the Clippers kind of how, said the Celtics is deeper. That's why I think it'll be the Bucks. I think that's why the Clippers will beat the Lakers. They just have their bench unit is better than the Nets whole team. Um, they they have Lou Will and Montrez Montrez Harrell to come off the bench, back them up. Uh, they have Marcus Morris who has a career year on top of having two of the 
top five, top ten players in the NBA with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's they have great defense. They have shooting off of that. They have they just they can go anywhere. But I have the Bucks winning it all over them. Giannis is the best player in the NBA. He's gonna win MVP. He's pr- probably gonna win Defensive Player of the Year as well. No one's done that since MJ. I think. Uh, and they have the shooting around him. George Hill shooting like 50% from three because no one guards him because everyone doubles the honest. Chris Middleton shooting 50, 40, 90. I just, I think they're, Brooke Lopez is second best rim protection in the league behind Hassan Whiteside. I just think the Bucks are scary good. And I think, I think the Celtics and Heat both have a good chance of knocking them out just because they have the defense to stop Giannis. But I think the Bucks are the strongest team in the NBA this year. Well, boys, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's time for us to move on to our final segment of the day. I wanted to go through all the professional sport. I didn't, I mean, it's hard to do anything with the NFL because training camp, whatever it's supposed to be, supposed to be beginning, but obviously the NFL, it's like, you know, MLB and the NHL are like right there in terms of restarting because they're operating on a similar timetable. And this segment I gave to Hattie because Jared, as you'll find out, kid does more with hockey than anybody I've ever met in my life. Like, oh, I know. Spartan Sports Report, hockey section, it's, it's, it's just Hattie. Like, it just it, – like him and then Cameron McLaren, another new volunteer that we had, those two literally – you know, Hattie talks about the Red Wings. Cam would talk about the Stars. I mean, just odds end. And, I mean, I know a fair amount. Myself, I'm a hockey fan, not like, you know, like woo-woo, but I'm not – it's more of a regional thing. Like, I mean, if, if, if you grow up in the South, like, nobody cheers for the Hurricanes. <laughs> like, if you're living in Tampa Bay or Florida, the Lightning are so far down the list of teams. I mean, you're probably thinking the Jaguars, the Heat, the Magic, all take precedent over any hockey team, and that's a problem. I mean, you, you, you grow to love the sport. I mean, it, it is a bit of an acquired taste because you don't have 30, 40 points a game. You know, a lot of it is slow moving, but, you know, it's, it's the same thing with uh, soccer. But, Hattie, my, my questions to you, I got three of them. One, how has the NHL handled the return to play? Two, who do you think is going to win the Stanley Cup? And three, uh, what, what was the – I, I got to make up another one on the fly here. Who do you think is a dark horse to win the title? Uh, okay, so the NHL has actually handled it really well. Uh, they, they released it yesterday. They're just, they're basically playing in like what you'd find in like your local towns or rink. Uh, they quarantine them all really well. Uh, I mean, a lot of the players have come out and say like, 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 like their bubble isn't going to be an issue. Like, like Vladimir Tarasenko said, he'll, he'll live in a jail cell if it means he can play for a Stanley Cup. So that's not really a worry. Uh, they're not going to have fans. They're going to keep everyone isolated, test them, I think, twice a week. And then, so I, I, I really don't think that'll be much of a concern. And uh, because a lot of guys were advisors, if you extend them lower, you could uh, change the, I mean, you could you could decrease the amount of transmission if oh. someone does test positive. Uh, my prediction was lightning over avalanche uh, because I think lightning are going to do similar to kind of a uh, Virginia thing, you know, get, uh, get beat by UMBC, come back when the whole thing, lightning going to do it again because they still do have the best roster in hockey. Like people think that be just because they got upset by the by the uh, Blue Jackets, they just lost everything. They didn't. They're still scary, like like historically good. And then the Avalanche are just really, especially with the addition of Kale McCarr, who will probably win the Calder, which is our Rookie of the Year. 
I really just think that, and then I think Vasilevsky puts them over the Avalanche. I thought you were going to pick the Bruins. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. No, Bruins, Bruins. I I don't know. I don't like a team that old. Just you, you got a dark horse. Yeah. Like like, what's one yes. team you see coming out of the coming out of the cellar? Yes, actually, in my bracket, I have the 11 seated Rangers in the conference finals. Oh, so they're going to bounce the Hurricanes in the first round. You're going to do me like that, aren't you? They're going to bounce the Hurricanes. That that the. I, I don't like the Rangers, but that team is frightening. I, 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 if, like, if you really care about the Hurricanes, I, I, I would watch with caution and be, be ready to turn it off. Oh, I, I, oh, I know. I know. I, especially since Dougie Hamilton hasn't returned, thought he'd be healthy. No. Still, still it's okay. It's okay. We, we will All work. right, Hattie. I, Hattie, I got a question for you. Uh, so, I'm not the biggest uh, hockey fan. I'm very, a very fair weather fan for the Red Wings. And – I haven't, I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched many games in the last few years just because they haven't been good. When will the Red Wings return to the stature that they've, that they had for the last 25 years before the last two, three? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, so next year, okay, so, th- so this year they were historically bad. I think they were like top three worst team of all time in the salary cap era. Next year, you'll start to see they get a little better. They're like, they'll be middle of the non-playoff teams. And then the year after, I think they'll compete for playoffs. And then the year after that, they'll make it. Uh, Because Eiserman is the best GM in hockey. He drafts incredibly well after the first round. Uh, He knows how to develop guys. uh, I think Blasio is a good guy, good guy for the job. Like, I I, I don't think Scotty Bowman can uh, take this roster to the playoffs. I don't think that's the issue at all. Uh, So I'd say four years, like once one Sider, one Zadino, once Valeno, uh, maybe Rasmussen. Uh, develop all those guys, and you get your fourth, uh, fourth pick this year, which I think will be Lucas Raymond, who is still probably going to put up 30 goals a year. And if you can keep Mantha healthy and you keep that first line together, I think you're looking at something that could actually compete in this league. Now, do you think that Mantha and Larkin are guys you can build around? Mantha can't stay healthy, and Larkin's been up and down since he got called up, frankly. Uh, Larkin, Larkin, I think, I think, I, I think he's kind of like a Xavier Tillman in a way where you know exactly what you're getting. He'll, he will never be a top-tier center. He's probably uh, better suited as a uh, number two line center over number one. But you can't put him at number two because your number two put up nine points in 81 games this year, but I digress. <laughs> um, and then when Mantha's healthy, he truly is almost a point-of-game uh, point player. And him and Tyler Bertuzzi, who's coming off an all-star berth, is due for contracts this year. I think you kind of have to sign them both because that line was the only bright spot you had this year. Uh, besides Veronic, who actually proved to be not a, a pylon on the blue line. One, <laughs> one more question for you. Sorry to pepper you with all these, but do the Red Wings oh, have no, a, I love much, do the Red Wings have anybody coming up that's worth a crap as a goaltender? Because watching Jonathan Bernier and Jimmy Howard is like watching paint dry. It's that bad. <laughs> I like I knew Jared. I know Coro was supposed to be the guy way back when. He never really did anything. I'm still thinking back to the days of you know Peter Morazic and Jonas Gustafsson, way back five six years ago. But do they actually have anybody that's worth coming up through the system? At goaltender, uh, yeah. no, uh, because the, in, in the AHL they have Calvin Picard, and he's not an NHL goaltender. He's AHL. He's fine to hold it down in the AHL, but he's not an NHL goaltender. Um, I mean, you have someone in the system, but he's really raw. If you call him up today, he I can light him up. That, that's that's a exaggeration. <laughs> I take that back. Uh, but basically, what I'm saying is he's not ready either. Uh, it's tempting because 
I can almost see them making a move because the Red Wings have three second round picks and two thirds, and they pick fourth. But they also, but this class also has the best goaltender prospects since Carey Price, but you can't take him at four. So you use those, you get a 30 goal scorer, you get a goaltender. Since you have the capital, you can still draft in the second and third round. It's just tempting. But uh, this free agent class is also really well. And I'll, I'll be doing a full free agent rundown. Um, actually, probably on impact soon. So look up for that. So do who should the Red Wings take number four overall with that? Lucas Roman. Um, if Stutzley does uh, uh, falls to four, that's a no-brainer. But I think if you don't get him, and I, and I think he'll go second to the Kings. But if you don't get him, I think you take Lucas Raymond. Because I, I don't think you can go defense back-to-back years when you're last in scoring. Do you do you, so? Who, who's the best goalie in this draft? Who, who's a guy that you that they could get in the second or third round and use one of those second round picks for? Goaltending depth, I got to look more. Um, I forget his first name. His name is Dawes. Uh, I think he plays in the Quebec Major Junior League. Uh, he seems pretty good. Pretty good sized goalie. Um, I think they could they could actually go out and take they could take Dawes. See, Jared, this yeah, is the guy. This is the guy you have to ask your hockey questions to. The yeah, he is. kid is a kid is a book. So, in order to make Hattie happy, I got to make my Stanley Cup predictions, even though I know just a little bit more than I I don't know nearly enough. I'm gonna go. Let's look at the standings here because that's kind of <laughs> a level of whatever. I'm gonna pick Carolina to win it all, just because I'm. I, I grew up a Hurricanes. Fan Cam Ward, Justin Williams, the whole nine yards. Um, I think obviously you have Andre Andre Smechnikov. You have Tatar, or not Tatar. I'm sorry, Aho. My my, my brain's flying south. You have Morazic between the pipes, and they got Trocheck at the deadline. They got some guys, and obviously I think Brendan Moore is one of the best coaches in the NHL. I really, really do. I mean, what he did with that roster last year was nothing short of sensation. I was not an Eastern Conference Finals team. And he was part of the last great Carolina team when they when when they beat uh, Edmonton in 06 in seven yep. games uh, in the 06 Stanley Cup when Cam Ward was a rookie. So mm-hmm. at least for me, I don't know. I just I just want something good to happen for once. Since the Panthers and the Hornets both are the Hornets stunk, the Panthers are going to be god awful again, and the Tigers can't do anything the hurricanes are kind of the one team and and yes i know new york has a barrage of forwards but if if carolina is able to get dougie hamilton back and that is a big if obviously you have you have brett pesci slavin those guys really anchoring down that first defensive pairing definitely think that they could make a little bit of a run Oh yeah, if you get Hamilton back and, and then Van Ramsdyk and Slavin both hold better both hold their own. And if, if they if the Carolina beats the Rangers, there's nothing that there's nothing that makes me think they couldn't win at all. If Mrazic is strong enough to stop that Rangers rested offensive core, that I really don't think you could be stopped. And, and so that, you, you've right to be excited. I was gonna say, and that's the thing with Mrazic is you don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, you, you just don't. I mean, I you know happy that they signed the kid, but he's a very you know what what year was that when they had, he had that vintage performance? Oh, it was a Tampa Bay peppered him with like 48 shots in the playoffs and Detroit won one to nothing. Like, you know what game I'm talking about? I yeah, just, that, that was 2015. I mean, the, the, that's what he can do. And then he also kind of gets uh, run right up through sometimes. But I digress. I'll give Jared the floor. Um, so I've 
probably watched like 10 hockey NHL games this year. One of them, I saw the Avalanche destroy the Red Wings. So I was at that game. I I was too. I was too. Um, So I'm going with the Avalanche uh, out of the West just because of that. And then, but I'm taking the Bruins. I think they're really good and they have an MSU player, uh, Tori Krug. So got to stay loyal to MSU. I think they have the talent on offense and defense to win it all. So I'm going Bruins over Avalanche. The Bruins are a Krug. I was going to say, the Bruins just beat you up physically. Like, that's always been their mantra with Zidane Chara, with Marchand. They just beat the living tar out of you. Like, they play such a backyard style of hockey. Like, Gordy Howe and Sawchuck right now would be <laughs> smiling down from heaven at the way that, those, at the way that Boston plays. I mean, but it is with anything – COVID has completely destroyed any expectation for me, for the playoffs. I mean, because momentum being such an important thing in sports is gone. I mean, all it takes is one team that nobody gives a shot, having one or two good weekends, and then before you know it, you're standing at the doorstep of winning a title. But uh, that's all I that's all I got. You guys got anything else left to say? Feels like I stole the spotlight more than I probably should have. Uh, yeah, well, we're on hockey. If um... Yeah, I, I would tell you to get back into hockey. See, like, I was I was recruiting people to get into hockey more, like Sam Britton, and then he watches this NHL draft uh, monstrosity, for lack of a better word. <laughs> Which I, 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 I want to I advocate so well, because it is a sport you have, so it's an acquired taste, but I really do believe it's the best sport, in, like, it's the best sport in, uh, sport in pro sports. And then they do this thing where they allow teams to compete for a title and compete for the best prospects since Connor McDavid, and then they just poop all over me. And the one thing I will, I will say, the best thing that I like about and ba- baseball's like this too. It's base, it's and the NFL's kind of like this, and depending on the year, because there was a run for a while when five and six seeds were actually doing something. Um, everybody has a shot. Like it, this isn't, you know, if you're an NBA fan and you're the seven or eight seed in the East or the West, you know, you're gonna get bounced in the first round. And you know, it's not gonna be close. Okay, at least. It's like one through eight legitimately is a toss-up. It really is because all it takes, is, you know, you might, I could have 20 shots, Haiti could have 40 shots, and I could very well win. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how the sport goes, and that's what I've always been drawn to about it is the fact that it, it the best team doesn't always win. I mean, in Stan- mm-hmm. yeah, and Stanley Cup playoffs, I think, is the second second best um sporting event for me behind March Madness and I think it's really close just because uh, you like you said the parody is there um it's a seven game series a lot of the times it's intense all the time people are putting their bodies on the line night in night out that's like playoff hockey is legit and it's so fun to watch and they beat the living tar out of each other I mean if you like physicality like, if you're talking, like, like even though hockey's not technically an American sport, I mean, it's more physical than football is. It's more phys- – I mean, obviously, baseball and, you know, out of the four major sports, it is the most physical. I mean, there's not a big rugby presence in America, but they – like, for people that like to watch grown men beat the living tar out of each other, like, if you want to be a good hockey player, you're going to have to have a few screws loose. And that yeah. really attracts a lot of people. You know, that backyard mentality of 
just going and knocking your opponent's teeth in. Like, I'm drawn to it. I really am. Oh, I, I would say if there are any non-hockey fans out there that want to, like, watch from one series to get into, I would say either Rangers or – Rangers and uh, the Hurricanes. Or, actually, I think the best series to watch if you if you want to get into it and see, like, the high-paced, like, offense. Like, basically, like, the NHL version of, like, Ravens versus Chiefs would be Edmonton-Chicago. Because you still have Patrick Kane there. You have, you have DeBrincat first time in the playoffs. League first time in the playoffs. Uh, of course, you have McDavid, Dryas, Lytle. That's the best one-two punch I've seen probably since Crosby and Malkin. And it's it, it'll be it'll be fast and it'll be fun. All right, guys, we got some breaking news. I I, I got I got it because Woj Adrian Wojnarowski just tweeted this: the New York Knicks and Tom Thibodeau are finalizing a five-year deal to make the franchise's next head coach. Dolan strikes again. That I I saw that they wanted Thibodeau, and I was like, that would be the most Knicks hire, and oh. they did it. So oh yeah, mediocre. Mitchell Robinson's knees. That's all I have to say. Good luck to Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett's knees, playing forty-eight minutes a night, losing by thirty-five points. Oh, that is James Dolan proves once again why he, in my opinion, is the worst owner in the NBA. And I don't think he's the worst owner in sports. He he's up there. He really he really him and Dan, him and Dan Snyder. I just I, I was I was just on my phone and uh, looking at that. I'm like, really? You can't think of anybody better? It's like, it's the same thing you see in the NFL. It's this rinse and recycle, like, oh, prom, promising coordinator, becomes a head coach for two years, stinks. Then three years later, gets his name around. It's how Caldwell got his job. Um, uh, McDaniels, who was the coach with Denver and kind of stunk, uh, was up for a job last year. Stefanski, like, it's just, it's just that kind of thing. But anyway, I digress. For this week's episode of the Green and White Report, I'm Nathan Stearns. Jared, for Jared Ramsey, Kyle Hattie, thank you guys for tuning in. We will have a different rotating cast next week, and I believe that the plan is until we all are allowed to get back in the station, we're going to continue to do this sort of virtual setting. We're trying to give as many people a chance as we can to kind of host this, pod, this podcast and, you know, really give them the chance to kind of get some reps. And, the you know, the university obviously taking – all, all the precautions that they need to, we're still not allowed back in the station right now. So it's kind of hard to um, sort of do this stuff, but I'm happy that we were able to do it today. Until next week, I believe the next Green and White episode, this will drop tomorrow at 11 on Sunday, and then it should drop from here on out every Sunday at 11. Thank you guys and have a great week. You have been listening to The Green and White Report on WDBM. For all your sports news and notes, go to impact89fm.org slash sports.